Chapter eighteen of the story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. The story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter eighteen. Love and death. Different from his former self became this young forester Ab. He was thinking of something other than wild beasts and their pursuit. Instinctively, the course of his hunting expeditions tended toward the northwest, and soon the impulse changed to a design. He must look upon Lightfoot again. Henceforth, he haunted the hill region, and never keener for quarry or more alert for the approach of some dangerous animal was the eye of this woodsman than it was for the appearance somewhere of a slender figure of a cave girl. Neither game nor things to dread were numerous in the vicinity of the home of Hilltop. For there one of the hardiest and wisest among hunters had occupied his cave for many years, and wild beasts learned things. So it chanced that Lightfoot could wander farther afield than could most girls of the time. Ab knew all this well, for the quality of expert and venturesome of Hilltop was familiar to all the cavemen throughout a wide stretch of country. So Ab, somewhat shamefaced to his own consciousness, hunted in a region not the best for spoil, and looked for a girl who might appear on some forest path, moderately safe from the rush of any of the hungry man-eaters of the wood. But not all the time of this wild lover was wasted in haunting the possible idling places of the girl he wanted so. With love there had come to him such a sense and thoughtfulness as has come with earnest love to millions since. What could he do with Lightfoot should he gain her? He was but a big, young, fighting man and hunter, still sleeping almost nightly on one of the leaf beds in his father's cave. With a wife of his own, he must have a cave of his own. Compared with the first impulses toward the girl, this was a new train of thought, and as we recognize it today, a nobler one. He wanted to care for his own. He wanted a cave fit for the reception of such a woman as this to him, the sweetest and proudest of all beings, Lightfoot, daughter of old Hilltop, of the wooded highlands. Far up the river, far beyond the home of Oak's father, and beyond the shining marshlands and the purple heather reaches which made the foothills pleasant, extended to the river's bank as a promontory, bold and picturesque, and clad heavily with the best of trees. It was a great stretch of land, where in some of nature's grim work the earth had been upheaved and there had been raised good soil for giant forest, and at the same time been made broad caverns to become future habitations of the creature known as man. But the trees bore nuts and fruits, and such creatures as found food in nuts and fruits, and later, such as loved rich herbage, came to the forest in great numbers, and then followed such a fed upon these again all the flesh-eaters to whom man was, as any other living thing, to be seized upon and devoured. The promontory, so rich in game and nuts and fruits, was, at the same time, the most dangerous in all the region for human habitation. There were deep, dry caves within its limits, but in none of them had a caveman yet ventured to make his home. It was towards this promontory that the young man in love turned his eyes, because others had feared to make a home in this lone high region, should he also fear? There was food there in plenty, and if there were chance of fighting in plenty, so much the better. Was he not strong and fleet? Had he not the best of spears and axes? Above all, had he not the new weapon which made man far above the beasts? Here was the place for a home which should be the best in all this region of the cave men. Here game and food of all kinds would be most abundant. 
the situation would demand a brave man and a woman scarcely less courageous but would not he and the girl he was determined to bring there meet all occasion his mind was fixed ab found a cave one clean and dry and opening out upon a slight treeless area and this he lover-like improved for the woman he had resolved to bring there arranging carefully the interior of which must be a home he had fancies such as lovers have exhibited from since the time when the plesiosaurus washed away in the strand of a warm sea a hollow nursery for the birth and first tending of the young of his odd kind up to the later time when men have squandered fortunes on the sleeping rooms of women they have loved he toiled for many days with his axe he chipped away the cavern's sharp protuberances at each side and with the stone chips from the walls and with what he had brought from outside he made the floor white and clean and nearly level he built a fireplace and chipped into a huge stone which fortunately lay inside the cave a hollow for holding drinking water or for the boiling of meat he built up a passageway at the entrance allowing something but not too much more than his own width as the gauge for measurement of its breadth he brought into the cave a deep carpet of leaves and made a wide bed in one corner and this he covered with furred skins for many skins ab owned in his own right then with a thick fragment of tough branch as a lever he rolled a big stone near the cave's entrance and left it ready to be occupied as a home the woman was still lacking there came a day when ab impatient after his searching and waiting but yet resolute had killed a capercailzie the great grouse-like bird of the time the descendants of which lived to-day in northern forests and had built a fire and feasted and then instinctively careful had climbed to the first broad low branch of an enormous tree and there adjusted himself to sleep the sleep of one who has eaten heartily he lay with the big branch for a bed supported on either side by green upspringing twigs and slept well for an hour or two and then awoke lazy and listless but with much good to him from the repast and rest it was not yet very late in the afternoon and the sun still shone kindly upon him as upon a whole world of rejoicing things something like a reflection of the life of the morning was beginning to manifest itself as is ever the way where forests and wild things are the wonderful noise of wood life was renewed as the young man awakened he felt in every pulse the thrilling powers of existence everything was fair to look upon his ears took in the sound of the voices of birds already beginning vesper songs though the afternoon was yet so early as scarcely to hint of evening and the scent from a thousand plants and flowers permeating and intoxicating reached his senses as he lounged sprawlingly upon his safe bed aloft it was attractive the scene which ab looked upon the forest was in all the glory of summer and nesting and breeding things were happy there was the fullness of the being of trees and plants and of all the birds and beasts there was a soft commingling of sounds which told of the life about the effect of which was somehow almost drowsy in the blending of all together the great ferns waved gently along the hollows as a slight breeze touched them they were queer those ferns they were not quite so slender and tapering and gothic as the ferns we see to-day they were a trifle more lush and ragged and their tips were sometimes almost rounded but ab noted little of fern or bird it was only the general sensuousness that was upon him the smell of the pines was a partial tonic to the healthy half-awakened man and though he lay back on the rugged wooden bed and half dozed again 
Nature had aroused him a trifle beyond the point of relapse into absolute unknowing slumber. There was coming to him a sharpness of perception which affected the quiescence of his enjoyment. He rose to a sitting posture and looked about him. At once his eyes flashed, every nerve and muscle became tense, and the blood leaped turbulently in his veins. He had seen that for which he had come into this region, the girl who had so reached his rude, careless heart. Lightfoot was very near him. The girl, all unconscious, was sitting upon the trunk of a fallen tree which lay close beside a creek. There was an abundance of small pebbles upon the little strand, and the young lady was absent-mindedly engaged in an occupation in which, to the observer, she took some interest, while she, no doubt, was really thinking of something else. She sat there, slender, beautiful, and excelling, in her way, the belle of the period, merely amusing herself. Her toes were charming toes. There could be no debate on that point, for while long and strong and flexible, they had a certain evenness and symmetry. They were being idly employed just now. At the creek's edge, half embedded in the ground, up rose the crest of a granite stone. Picking up pebble after pebble in her admirable toes, Lightfoot was engaged in throwing them, one after another, at the outstanding point of granite, utilising in the performance only those toes and the brown leg below the knee. She did exceedingly well and hit the red-brown target often. Ab, hot-headed and fierce lover in the treetop, looked on admiringly. How perfect a form was she! How bright the face! And then, forgetting himself, he cried aloud and slid from the branch as easily and swiftly as any serpent, and started running toward the girl. He must have her. With this cry the girl leaped to her feet, and as she reached the ground recognized him on the instant. She knew in the same instant that they had felt together, and that it was not by accident that he was near her. She had felt as he, so far as a woman may feel with a man. But maidens are maidens, and sweet lightness dreads force, and a modified terror came upon her. She paused for a moment, and then turned and ran toward an upland forest. Not a moment hesitating or faltering as affected by the girl's action was the young man who had tumbled from the tree-bed. The blood dancing within him and the great natural impulse of gaining what was greatest to him in life controlled him now. He was hot with fierce lovingness. He ran well, but he did not run better than the graceful thing before him. Even for the critical being of the great cities of today, the one who manages races of all sorts, it would have been worth while to see this race in the forest. As the doe leaps, scarcely touching the ground, ran Lightfoot. As the wolf or hound runs, less swift for the moment, but tireless ran the man behind her. Yet of all the men in the cave region, this flying girl wanted most this man to take her. It was the maidenly force-dreading instinct alone which made her run. Ab, dogged and enduring, lost no space as the race led away toward the hill and home of the fleet thing ahead of him. There were miles to be covered, and therein he had hope. They were on the straight path to Hilltop's cave. Though there were divergent curving side-paths almost as available, but to avoid her pursuer, the fugitive could take none of these. There were cross-cuts everywhere. In leaving the direct path, she would but lose ground. To reach soon enough by straight, clean running the towering wooded hill in which was her father's cave seemed the only hope of the half-unwilling fugitive. There were descents and ascents in the long chase, and plateaus where the running was on level ground. Straining forward, gaining little, but confident of overtaking the girl, Ab, deep-chested and physically untroubled, pressed onward, 
when he noted that the girl made a sudden spurt and bounded forward with a speed not shown before, while at the same time she swerved from the right of the path. It was not Ab who had made her swerve. Some new alarm had come to her. She was about to reach, and as Ab supposed, pass one of the inletting paths entering almost at right angles from the left. She did not pass it. She leaped into it in evident terror, and then, breaking out from the wood on the right, came another form, and one surely in swift following. Ab knew the figure well. Oak was the new pursuer. The awful rage which rose in the heart of Ab as he saw what was happening is what can no more be described than one can tell what a tiger in the jungle thinks. He saw another, the other his friend, pursuing and intending to take what he wanted to be his, and what had become to him more than all else in the world. More than much eating and the skins of things to keep him warm, more than a mammoth's tooth to carve, more than the glorious skin of the great cave tiger, the possession of which made a rude nobility, more than anything and all else. He leaped aside from the path. He knew well the other path upon which were running Oak and Lightfoot. He knew that he could intercept them, because, though the running was not so good, the distance to be covered was much less, for to him path running was a light matter. In the wood he ran easily and leaped as well and attained a point almost as quickly as the beasts. There was a stress of effort, and as the shadows deepened, he burst in upon the cross-path, where he knew were the fleeing Lightfoot and following Oak. He had thought to head them off, but Ab was not the only man who was swift of foot in the cave country. They passed almost as he bounded from the forest. He saw them close together, not many yards ahead of him, and with a shout of rage bent himself in swift and terrible pursuit again. It was all plain to Ab now as he flew along unnoted by the two ahead of him. He knew that Oak had, like him, determined to own Lightfoot, and had, like him, been seeking her. Only chance had made the chase thus cross Oak's path, but that made no difference. There must be a grim meeting soon. Ab could see that the endurance of the wonderfully fleet-footed woman was not equal to that of the man so near her. She would soon be overtaken. Before her rose the hill, not a mile in its slope, where were her father's cave and safety? He knew that she had not the strength to breast it fleetly enough for covert, and as she looked, he saw the girl turn a frightened face toward her close pursuer, and knew that she saw him as well. Her pace slackened for a moment as this revelation came to her, and he felt, somehow, that in him she recognized comparative protection. Then she recovered herself and bent all the power she had toward the ascent. But Oak had been gaining steadily, and now with a sudden rush he reached her and grasped her, the woman shrieking wildly. A moment later Ab rushed in upon them with a shout. Instinctively Oak released the girl, for in the cry he heard that which meant menace and immediate danger. As Lightfoot felt herself free, she stood for a moment or two without a movement, with wide open eyes looking upon what was happening before her. Then she bounded away, not looking backward as she ran. The two men stood there glaring at each other. Oak perched, and yet not perched. So broad and perfect was his foothold. On the crest of a slight shelf off the downward slope, there stood the two men, poised, the one above, the other below, two who had been as close together from childhood as all the attributes of mind and body might allow, and yet now as far apart as human beings may be. They were beautiful in a way, each in his murderous, unconscious posing for the leap. The sun hit the blue axe of oak and made it look grey, 
The raised axe of Ab, which was of a lighter coloured stone, was in the shade, and its yellowness was darkened into brown. The spectacle lasted for but a second. As Oak leaped, Ab bounded aside, and they stood upon a level, a tiny plateau, and there was fierce, strong fencing. One could not note its methods. Even the keen-eyed wolverine, crouching low upon an adjacent monster limb, could never have followed the swift movements of these stone axes. The dreadful play was brief. The clash of stone together ceased as there came a duller sound, which told that stone had bitten bone. Oak, slightly the higher of the two, as they stood thus in the fray, leaned forward suddenly, his arms aloft, while from his hand dropped the blue axe. He floundered down uncouthly and grasped the beech leaves with his hands, and then lay still. Ab stood there weaponless, a creature wandering of mind. His yellow axe had parted from his hand, sunk deeply into the skull of Oak and he looked upon it curiously and vacantly. He was not sane. He stepped forward and pulled the axe away, and lifted it to a level with his eye, and went to where the sunlight shone. The axe was not yellow any more. Meanwhile a girl was slitting toward her home, and the shadows of the waning day were deepening. End of chapter 18